You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So, we talked about the different kind of aspects of the table that we uh, need to create for one another, for our church. The table of redemption, table of faith, table of prayer, table of joy. And now here we are at the table of mercy. Can you say table of mercy? mercy. Now we sing a lot of God's love, his faithfulness, and his grace. But when was the last time you actually poured over the meaning of his mercy and what that means for you? Mercy happens to be one of the biggest themes in the Bible. Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can you hear? Can you say, can you say an amen to that? Yes. The phrase, his mercy endures forever, happens not once, twice, but 41 times all throughout the Old Testament. Mercy is essential To our lives, say to one another, thank God for his mercy. And I got to tell you right now, that's our greatest need. When it comes down to our relationship to God as an individual, that's our greatest need. It's also the greatest need when it comes to our relationship with one another. When it comes to our relationship with our family members, with our coworkers, with our church members, with other people too. And why is mercy at the top of the list? Because it's the way we're looked upon by God. That's why mercy is so crucial. It's the way you're looked upon by God. It's the way God sees you that's so important. How God sees you. It's not that we just are looked upon casually, like as if somebody were to cross paths and you just make a casual glance that way. It has nothing to do with that. You see, God's looking upon you is not like as if he just created you, like you're just a creation of his. When God looks upon you through his merciful eyes, he is looking upon you favorably. That's huge. You're not just someone. You're not just something. You're not just a person here out of the six, seven billion people in this world. No, when God sees you, he sees you. You see that? That's why it's so important because without God's mercy, man, we can never get to him. We can never seek his face. We can never ever have him and call him our father. Now I'm sure that we've used the word mercy often in our prayers, often in our conversations. We've definitely sung songs like we did today, but I fear that the word mercy is also part of just our Christian lingo. We have to be mindful of that and know it's more than just a word. Turn to your neighbor and say, mercy is more than just a word. And the best way to make sense of the word is not about how I'd like to define it or what it means for me, but rather what does mercy look like in the light of God's character. Essentially, we must know that God is mercy. Look up and say, God, you are mercy. And where do we get that? We get that from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Exodus 34, Ephesians 2, James 5, and many more other places in Scripture. So if we attempt to define mercy through God's character, we must also view it through the lens of God's role. Not just through his character, not just in who he is, but also in what he does too. That he is the king, amen? 
That God, he's the ruler, amen? That he reigns with supreme authority and wisdom throughout the universe. Can you declare that? Amen. Amen. The idea is that if God is God, right, if God is God, that means he is the meaning of life. You know, everyone's always searching, I don't know the purpose of life. Is it to be a a millionaire? Is it to do some sort of crazy humanitarian endeavor, whatever? No, what is the meaning of life? I'll tell you what the meaning of life is. Meaning of life is God. Meaning of life is God. He is who defines truth. He is what mankind has been looking for since the beginning. That means then, then God is who we want. He's, He's what we're after. But if God is perfect, and holy and without sin, how could someone like me even get to him? I'm just some dude. How can I get to a perfect, holy, amazing God? If God is God, then he's perfect, isn't he? If God is God, then he has to be above every possible human standard that we could ever create, every possible measurement that we could ever think of. He must be God and perfect, and yet here I am, this guy riddled with sin and corruption and rebellion, thinking that somehow I can get to this perfect, amazing God. I remember in high school, there was this one girl. She just moved in, and she was new. All my, my high school, grad, by the way, my high school was tiny compared to most of your high schools here. My graduating class was 150, right? So when we had our graduation at Constitution Hall, all of us were on stage. Okay, that's how small it was. But we are, I grew up with my friends since first grade. And when we graduated, it's like I knew them. They're like my brothers and my sisters. And so whenever someone new came, you knew, right? Well, this one girl came. She came from actually, where is she? Kansas. And she was, she was, a pretty girl, and all of a sudden, all the guys start looking at her, right? Because it's kind of weird when, when all of us start dating each other because it's almost incestuous since you always knew each other from first grade. It felt weird to do that. So when this new person came, all the guys were interested. Well, guess what? One of my friends, he goes, I really like her. I'm like, yeah, it's obvious. And I said, why don't you ask her out? And he goes, look at her. And look at me. I'm like, that's a solid point. <laughs> I go ask her out. She would never go out with someone like me. She looks like she would go out with like the, like the, uh, the captain of the football team or captain of the basketball team. I'm like, you're the captain of the chess team. It's the same thing, man. <laughs> now for us, what's the deal? It's like us thinking, I can't get to God. He's, look at him. He is perfect. Look at me. In that case, it's true. We can't get to God. The only way that we can is by his mercy. You can't hear amen to that. Now, this psalm gives us a great unpacking of God's character. So here we have the psalmist. He's, his name is David. He's in trouble. In verse 14 of this chapter, we read that there are men out to get him. We're not exactly, exactly sure how they're trying to get him, but we know that he's in physical harm and physical danger. But what's interesting about what David is saying here in this chapter, in this passage, is David's appeal to God wasn't based on how much trouble he was in. His, uh, instead, his appeal to God was based on, the reason why he's saying, God, you should save me, is not because I'm in so much trouble. It's not because I'm in so much pain. It's not because my life is on the line. No, God, you should save me because of who you are. It's an appeal to God's character. You get that? Look, there's a time and place for us to say, God, this is what I'm going through right now. 
My, my, my life stinks. I'm in so much trouble. I'm in financial issues. I have relationship uh, problems, all that stuff. And, and sadly, what happens is after we say that, we stop our prayers. We say the end. But it's not the end for the Christian. Like David, he doesn't spend his entire time in prayer explaining every single possible intricacies of what's going on in his life. Instead, he begins to appeal to God's character. And why does David do that and why should we do that? Because without God's mercy, no one would be able to approach God's throne. Your prayerful petitions, your prayer for healing, your prayer for God's intervention, all that would be in vain if you can't even get close enough to God. Or should I say, if God won't let you get close enough to him. You need something. You need a bridge to get to God. And that's God's mercy. And it leads us to our first point. Mercy brings forgiveness. Say that. Now, let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Everywhere around the world, there are people who desire to approach God. They want to get to God. And they think that by their own accomplished standard, that they are somehow now owed an appearance before God. God, I've tried being a good person. I've tried being a good person. I've tried the best I could possibly be. Sure, I'm not perfect. Sure, I've made mistakes in my life. But I believe that what I have to offer is good enough for you to accept me. It's good enough for me to warrant some time, a time of appearance for you. And so I should be able to approach your throne by my merit. And look, I get that. I do. Because it's human nature to think that way. You know, my wife, she, she invited me to a couple dinners with her colleagues uh, when they interview potential candidates into their residency program. And for some reason, these interviews are always conducted at True Foods in Merrifield. Now, so, it's so funny that Pastor Esther said they're making lasagna because I'm so tired of lasagna because that's all I eat there. Now, don't tell me that they have other things on the menu. When I see it, it's two choices, kale or lasagna. So, obviously, I would pick lasagna, case closed. So I come to these events not because I need my advice on who to select. They don't care about that. I go, obviously, for the free food. But I do certainly get to talk to these candidates and talk about where they're from and all that stuff. And they ask me questions about this area because if they enter this program, they'll be here for three years in Northern Virginia. So they ask me, how is, like, the, the metro? How is it, how's the nightlife? I'm like, nightlife is amazing. Right? Like, I would know, right? <laughs> Right? But I tell them, I said, yeah, if you want to go to a park, you can go to Great Falls, you, go, you can go there or here. If you like the mall, we have Tyson's Corner and all that stuff. And I tell them about that stuff. Where's the best place to rent? And I tell them, hey, this location is good and, and so on and so forth. And, and I just tell them whatever I can. And at the end, when Grace and I are heading back, she'll ask me, so what do you, what'd you think about the three or four candidates? And I'll say, well, the first girl, she was nice. And the second guy, the second person, he was really nice too. And the third guy, man, like, she was nice. And the fourth guy, like, really nice. <laughs> Obviously, I'm useless, right? But this is ultimately what I'll say. She goes, if you had to pick one person to, for us to bring into our program, to be a part of our team, who would it be? I say, oh, probably her. I feel like she's better than everyone else. Now, that's how we expect God to answer us, too. 
Yeah, sure, I'll pick you. You're not as bad as that other guy. Or, I, I guess you tried harder than that girl. Fine, you're good enough. I guess you're better than that person. We imagine God to use some sort of system of comparative holiness to make his decision, but thankfully he does not do that. There's no one worthy to get to God based on their own merit, much less than the idea that they're somehow better off because of the guy or girl next to them. We're all on the same equal platform with one another before God. Turn to your neighbor and say this, I'm a sinner too. So why is it that, even, that we even have a problem getting to God? What's the issue here? Because of sin. Sin is a relationship breaker. Just think about how many times, and if you can't even count them, that sin has caused problems and difficulties in your relationship with your spouse, with your friends, with your family members, with your coworkers and church members. If we know the devastating effect of sin in our horizontal relationships, how much more so in our vertical relationship with God? You see, sin is a relationship breaker. Say that after me. Sin is a relationship breaker. But this is where mercy comes into play. Because mercy means that God, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Amen. Let me clear up the difference between grace and mercy. They have similar meanings, but they are at the same time totally different. Grace is God blessing us. This is grace. Grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Mercy is God not punishing us despite the fact we do deserve it. In other words, grace is extending, lavishing, giving kindness to unworthy people like me. Mercy is withholding or deliverance from God's just judgment. Now, we deserve, we deserve only one thing. And there's only one thing that we should be owed. And that is punishment, condemnation, wrath of God. In other words, death. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were given free range over all the perfection that God's created. God said, eat whatever you want. Do whatever you like. Go run around, frolic, enjoy the perfection and creation that I have made for you. Do whatever you want, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not like God said, hey, don't kill each other. Don't do something crazy. Don't destroy all of plant and animal life. He said, just don't eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Their sin wasn't that they broke some massive moral law. They just ate a piece of fruit. And yet because of that, sin came and then death. So why such a massive consequence for such a small or seemingly small infraction? Firstly, because I don't think God wants us to think that only big sins are punishable. And small ones can be swept under the rug. But I think that the heart of sin, big or small in your life, the things that you have done wrong in your life that goes against God, whether they're big or small, goes beyond the act itself. Because you see, it wasn't just for them a weak moment of appetite. For them, the reason why this happened is because they had an ambition to be like God, more accurately, to be God. You see, every sin we commit isn't just, I want to do this because I want to do it. Every sin we commit against God is an act of rebellion against God's revealed will. We're in part saying, God, I'm God now. I'm the ruler of my life. 
I know what's best for me. These, these are my commandments. I'm not going to follow yours. These are my interpretations. This is my understanding of what truth is. I'll define truth. I'll define what life is. I'll define what love is. I'll define it. I'm better than you, God, and I should be the Lord of my life. That's what we do. That's our trumpet call every morning when we choose to disobey God instead of obey him. That's what we're yelling out to God every time we ignore his will and we pursue ours. I am God. Every time we go against God's will, I am God. Every time we hate instead of love, every time we, every time we create bitterness in our lives against someone rather than forgiving, we're saying, I am God. Every time we say, I will not extend mercy to you, I will not extend grace upon you, I will not love you, I will not commit myself to you, we're sending, I am God, because I choose my way. What would we do if it wasn't for God's mercy. Let me tell you guys, we would not be here. We would not have woken up this morning. We need God's new mercies every day. You and I, we deserve, you know what you deserve. We know we deserve judgment, punishment, destruction. You call it condemnation, but God's mercy means that we are not treated as our sins deserve. God's mercy means that we can be forgiven. Amen. He gives you an opportunity. He's beckoning you. He's calling you. He's drawing you. Don't fight that. Don't resist it. You know in your heart, God is calling you to him. That's his mercy. When you know that you've tried and you tried, but you fail and you fail, and you pursue and you pursue, but you fail and you fail, and you're trying out so many different areas, pleasure, success, wealth, fame, all that stuff, and it leaves you short. It leaves you wanting. It leaves you even more hungry. You're saying, why doesn't the world satisfy? And you feel this pulling in your life to go after something that can't be made by man. That's God and his mercy saying, come to me. I will give you grace. Come to me. I will give you myself and in me, in my son Jesus, you will find the most complete and the truest satisfaction you have ever tasted, ever experienced, you have ever known. How ridiculous would it be if we stood in court and we argued a case with God? In Isaiah 43, God, he gives us his damning verdict. Your first father sinned, meaning Adam. Your spokesman rebelled against me. In other words, the verdict is we're guilty as charged. Yet in the same passage, Isaiah speaks of God's mercy. I, even I am who, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Praise the Lord in all his mercy. I like what this one anonymous writer said. He said, our life is like the dial of a clock. The hands are God's hands passing over and over each other again and again. The shorthand of discipline and the long hand of mercy. Slowly and surely the hand of discipline must pass. And God, he speaks at each strike, but over and over passes the hand of mercy, showering down 60-fold of blessing for each stroke of discipline or trial. And both hands are fastened at one secure point, the great unchanging heart of God's love. Want to know what God's mercy means? 
It means forgiveness for not just those who do grave sins, but those who commit sins big and small like you and me. When every time we choose the world over God, when every time we choose the flesh over the spirit, we're crying out, I am God, but by his mercy, God, he withholds judgment. In other words, God, he extends mercy upon us. Amen. You know how we can encourage, you know how we encourage everyone to go to God in prayer and say, call him Abba Father? Like, that means that we have intimacy with him, you know? Like, I would never have my daughter call me Pastor David. This is weird, right? I mean, you guys call me Pastor David, but when it comes to my own child, she can call me Daddy, she can call me Dad, she can call me Appa, Father, whatever she wants. But it, it signifies intimacy between us, and we encourage that. When you pray to God, when you seek after him, say, I'm a Father, because know that in Christ you are intimate, you have a relationship, and it's true, but understand this, we are only able to have that relationship if it weren't for God's mercy. That's why it's important to acknowledge the character of God in our prayers too. God, you are perfect and just. You who are holy and without sin. You who are full of grace and compassion. When we acknowledge God this way, it brings to us a sense of reverence that the price to approach his throne was not cheap was not without sacrifice, but that God gave us his all, his son, his mercy. Our second point is that mercy is available to, to us all. Mercy is available to us all. We're still in verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to the Republican and Democratic presidential nominees, I think most people are left scratching their heads. And they might be tempted to vote for the lesser of the two evils. Well, he talks too much, but at least he's not a criminal who should be indicted for the email scandal. Or, well, she does seem shady, but at least she's not a blatant racist. Was I being ambiguous enough? <laughs> so we scratch our heads and we try to think of why each person deserves our vote a little bit more than the other. And sadly, that's what we sometimes do with God's mercy too. We believe that God's mercy is limited. And so in our minds and in our lives and in our church life, we feel deep down that there are certain people that we are somehow, that are somehow beyond God's mercy and some who are a little bit more deserving of it than others. And that's simply not true. It's available to us all. I'm sure there are even some people that you've crossed paths with where if you were to meet with them, you'd be really uncomfortable. People with certain backgrounds, people with certain lifestyles. The thing is, sinners come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, ages, types, orientations, or what have you. But God's mercy is available to us all. You know, I wonder who in your life are you holding God's grace and mercy back from because you view them differently. You believe that the amount of pain and suffering that they put you through warrants a, a, a bypass in mercy. And so, no, no prayers going their way, no love for them, no compassion for them, no mentioning of the gospel in hopes that they come to know Christ. No, if someone wants to sp speak truth, let someone else do that. But I'm not going to do that. I'm done with them. You ask Christians, we should never lose hope for an unsaved individual, thinking that they're a lost cause. Hopelessness is not in our vocabulary. You know that? 
Now in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read of how God, he wants all to be saved. So we know his mercy is not limited. So in this great desire of God, he appoints the church, you and I, to go forth to proclaim that mercy to us all. For those of you going domestic missions, that's your calling. When you go forth, you're not just going to go feed the homeless. You're not just going to go nurture those who are lost and those who are immigrants. No, you're going to go there and you're going to declare and proclaim the mercy of God to them. But sadly, we limit the mercy of God even in our own lives. Maybe you think you're unworthy. Maybe you think the life you now live can only be filled with uphill struggles, pain, and suffering for the sins that you committed in the past. Can I just say this to you right now if you're going through that? It's not enough to simply know that the God we worship is a God of mercy. Don't just know that theoretically. But you must also claim that promise of who he is in your life as well. You must call upon the mercy of God. Call upon his name and let the Lord extend his mercy upon you. And what does that calling upon his mercy look like? It's a call upon his name that's done in deep, genuine humility, meaning that you can't do this on your own. It's a calling of unconditional surrender that you need to stop, you need to quit bargaining with God. God, I will come to you if this part of my life gets better. I will, I will dedicate more of my life to you if I get more financial blessings. We need to quit that. And we need to relinquish everything to him, including the result of the, what you may or may not want. It's also, call, it's also calling having faith in God's power and resources that you acknowledge, God, you have the ability to do things that no one else can. And lastly, it's a calling of desperation that when you simply cry out and plead for mercy in Christ who apart from him, we would have no value that would merit God's favor. You see, are you willing to call upon his name? Mercy, Lord. Mercy, I give everything up to you. I can't do anything without you. And I know that you can solve. I know that you can bring resolution. I know that you can bring healing. And lastly, mercy is guaranteed to us. That's found in verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. You know what stinks about certain health insurance plans? More than what you think gets covered, you'll soon realize all things that don't get covered. And you soon find out you have to pay out of pocket. Or perhaps you get a new car and you check out the warranty. Again, you realize, you think, man, that's good coverage. I only have to pay seven extra dollars a month on top of my, you know, my, my monthly payment. But the fine print really shows you only that they cover the bare minimum. Again, you got to pay out of pocket. But the reality and what's so refreshing to hear of God's mercy is that when God says, I give you mercy, it is complete. Complete. And it is guaranteed. If you look at verse 7 again, you'll read of David's absolute certain response to God's mercy. He says, for you answer me, period. There's no question of doubt in his mind. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think one problem that many Christians have today is the assurance of salvation or maybe the lack of it. And so maybe some of you guys can identify with these statements. I'm just not sure if I'm a Christian. 
I'm just not sure if I'm saved. Does God really love me? God, do you really think of me that way? Or really, really, will it really work out in the end in my life? Will what I'm going through really pan out? How do you think David felt at this time? He had all sorts of trouble. People were literally trying to get him and kill him. He was chased. He was threatened. His life was in danger. Even his own kid was out to get him. It takes my hide-and-seek game with Aiden to a whole new level when I'm hiding. She says, I'm going to get you. Could you imagine what he must have felt at this time? What did he do? He trusted and he believed in God's mercy because God's mercy is guaranteed. That's why we must believe in his promise, in the words of God. If we don't believe in the word of God, then we have nothing else to believe in. God's mercy is guaranteed, brothers and sisters. We must know that. We must believe that. We must call upon his name as we live it out in faith. But what is the best way for our assured mercy illustrated? It is, through the answer, is it through the answers that we receive from God? Is it from the fountain of blessing we now assume we'll receive? No. God's greatest demonstration of mercy is best illustrated in salvation that is available through Christ Jesus. What was it? What did we deserve? We deserve judgment. But if you call, if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll receive guaranteed mercy from God and will be delivered from judgment. Guaranteed. And instead of receiving judgment for your sins, you receive grace, salvation, forgiveness of sins, abundant life, and an eternity in heaven. Guaranteed. And so not only should we seek mercy in times of trial, we should know we always had peace in Christ Jesus because of the mercy and grace of God. Don't come to me saying, Pastor David, I'm going through a hard time right now. Will you pray that I find God in all this? I'll say, you already have him. His peace is already yours. His grace is already upon you, and his mercy is already present. You must just accept it and claim it and know that it's God's guaranteed promise for you. You know, God's full mercy was totally for you when you came to faith in Christ Jesus. You knew that? Because it was at that moment of conversion, that moment of being born again, that God, he didn't hold even one ounce of wrath against you. By his mercy, he is now for you, not against you. And he's ready for us to live in light of that new reality. He's for us. He's leading us. Live victoriously. Now, walk in his new mercies. Live in triumph and worship in peace and joy because we get to worship a God who is so great. A God who's so amazing, a God who's so wonderful, and who has guaranteed his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's something you can take to the bank for all eternity. Amen? Let's pray. The only Father... You who are gracious, you demonstrate your steadfast love, your unconditional grace to us all, Lord, and it's not because we're better off than another person that we would deserve more of you or deserve Jesus or deserve your Holy Spirit. No, it has nothing to do with that. I'm still boggled, Lord, in my life, knowing that there are millions out there, and yet you have chosen me. 
to be your own. That there are billions out there and yet you have called us to be the church. That there are multitudes around me just right outside these doors and yet you've allowed me to be the vessel for your Holy Spirit. Who am I? I know what I deserve. I know the pain that I have placed in your life, in your, upon your heart. All the days and years, Lord, where I have rebelled and fought against you. And yet you withhold, you withhold your righteous wrath upon me. And you say, no. Not only will I withhold this punishment, I am now going to lavish you with goodness. Who am I, Lord? And I think what we need to do is change that question to who are you? You are an amazing God. So worthy of worship. Lord, you command all glory for it was yours to begin with. Your love can't be defined in the ways that we want to define it in our culture and in our lives. No, it was demonstrated through the cross when you died for us. Jesus, we thank you for being that sacrifice and for giving us that bridge to get to a perfect and holy God despite our many imperfections and unholiness. Father, for you have forgiven us by the bloodshed of Jesus. And when we believe you and when we trust you, Lord, we know that your mercy is upon us. We know that your grace will lavish, be lavished upon us. And we know that from each day on for the rest of our physical life here on earth, God, you are with us and for us and not against us. We praise you to the highest of highest. Father, for you alone are good and all the good things in our lives, not because we have earned it, but because of your mercy and your grace. Today, this morning, when we woke up to live another day. Lord, when we, our lungs are filled with air and we could breathe another breath, Lord, it's because of your new mercies. And so, Father, I pray today our only response, the only response appropriate could be that on bended knees we worship you. We say thank you. We glorify you. Now help us to understand what that means as we draw others near to you. That this table of mercy, Lord, is for all. Give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of love. Lord, but give us a heart of mercy that we would extend and say to the person next to us, the person at work, the person at school, the person at the bus stop, and say it doesn't matter how they look, it doesn't matter where they're from, it doesn't matter what their understanding of you is, Lord, but that in the name of Jesus, that all can come under your banner of mercy and experience your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, would you take now a minute, maybe, just to pray just to seek the Lord in his mercy and say, God, who am I? But God, who are you? This is who you are, and I thank you for your mercies. Let's pray.